now now I believe we're recording on both. Yeah, recording on this and on Zoom. So we will see if it does it. If it records on both. So normally when I normally I record on Zoom and then I screen record the Zoom. But right now I'm trying whoa, that is trippy. That is trippy. Um, right now I am using the same camera for both recordings, which might get a little bit hairy. Then I'm fucking around with some new settings on the microphone. No idea if it will work. Today's a solo rant, episode 329, about a book that I'm reading. I've contacted the author, have not heard back, but I'd really like to get him on. It's called The War State. By Michael Swanson. It's on Audible. Zia is the book. The War State. The Cold War Origins of the Military Industrial Complex and the Power Elite, 1945 to 1963. Peculiar ending date. Um, so, because it's a solo rant, we are walking down this road of insanity together. And uh, we don't know where it's going to end up. Oh, come on. I'm downloading uh, Hitman 3 right now, as well as Mafia, the Chicago one. If anybody knows any good free roam games, please comment them. I don't like playing with other people. Uh, I I don't really like campaigns. I like If there's nothing else to do, I'll do a campaign, but I don't like them. They're time suck. I like free roam because I mute it and then I listen to an audiobook. I just like to, I, I don't like to know the rules. I don't, I like to get rid of the mini map, no tutorials, no prompts, no nothing. I just like to run around and just blow shit up. If anybody knows any good free roam games, I do not give a shit about the campaign. Just Cause, never was a fan of the camp. Just Cause 3, I like the campaign. Just Cause 4, campaign shit. Great open world games. Just Cause 4, although the campaign sucks. Great sandbox game. Thrusters and balloons. Um, Grand Theft Auto 4 and 5, solid campaigns, but I just love driving around. Ace Combat, there's Free Flight, but, uh, you know. Hitman, um, I'd never play. i just kill everybody. Um, Yeah. So if anybody knows any good free roam games, I have an Xbox, um, Xbox One X. I can't fucking find a Series X anywhere. What a shitty launch of a, a console, and they don't even have enough to go around. But let's get back to the, the, the was it the War State? I don't even remember the name. Um, but what I really like about it is it seems like it's the, it seems like it's the, uh, the intangible, untangible, the intangible counterpart to the tangible Raven Rock by Garrett M. Graff. One of my favorite books of all time. My favorite being Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect by Roger Williams. Rumor has it, Little Bird told me, that he may be turning it into an audiobook. We don't know. We simply don't know. But, okay. So, Raven Rock by Garrett M. Graff obviously had him on the podcast. He's a solid, fucking cool dude. His book is amazing, but it's all about the relocation arc, and that is a bunch of um, hundreds of bunkers. It's what he supposes it could be hundreds. We don't know for sure. We're just declassified. 
at least tens of bunkers and instead of a single look kind of like an electron there's not you know you can't follow an electron around the nucleus like you can mars or mercury or you know but rather it's a probability it's the same way in that you almost there's like sure we've got you've got you got your norad in cheyenne mountain colorado springs you've got your site r you've got your mount weather your greenbrier all that good stuff um uh, what are the ones in uh not not jackass flats uh P- pahoot mesa i think that's one of them um blackjack control blackjack mesa there yeah there's some weird uh tonopah um i'm sure there's stuff out of groom lake um there's one in hawaii right where snowden worked um that's cheesy snowden lived in hawaii now he lives in moscow in moscow where he actually gets snowed in. You can unsubscribe, I understand. Um, but the point is, is so we have this relocation arc where it's more of a probability range of where you're going to be. You, not you and me. The name of the book is Raven Rock. The government's plan to save itself while the rest of us die. So it's not you and me, it's, it's them. But let's say you're El Presidente. Let's say you're President Biden, right? It's sure he has Air Force One. He has the kneecap planes, the the E four B Doomsday planes. I believe there's four. There might be more. I know there's two Air Force Ones. Sure, those are EMP protected and shit. And you know they have all sorts of countermeasures and I guess longevity um, capabilities that are obviously classified. Uh, Garrett Graff uh, proposes, not proposes, says from direct witnesses that were there in Sarasota, Florida, on nine eleven. One that had uh, Rado or Jado uh, capabilities, jet assist to take off or rocket assist to take off. Um, Point being, just the beauty of a solar rant is they're just out there. The whole thing is there is this, there's this, this literal deep deep state, right? There's this whole network of hardened, um, buttoned up compounds complexes so they're all under x amount of earth a lot of the really good ones are under mountains you know thousands of feet of granite they have uh they're on springs they're on this sort of cushioned um superstructures that can they can sway they are uh, they're wrapped in steel and in uh copper or copper mesh and they deflects it emp blast it also defects any surveillance or eavesdropping or hacking, hacker man. They obviously they have, I mean, they have thousands of days of food and water. They have regenerative systems. They have full, um, these aren't your backyard bunkers. These are your, they have clinics, they have libraries, they have movie theaters, they have press conference rooms, they have whole barracks, they have armories, they have freezers that double as morgues, um, they can be what's called buttoned up, um, where everything gets sealed and they cycle their own air, no radiation. Um, a lot of them have double blast doors at right at 90 degree angles. So like NORAD has blast doors and then it's like halfway down the, it's like a, it's like a, a loop driveway. And in the center, there's like a second blast door. So no matter what, the shockwave can only hit it after being broken up perpendicularly, perpendicular 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 literally onomatopoeia 
so these aren't the things that, you know, duck and cover. But the turtle says, you know, an atomic strike could come at any time. It'll be a sunburn worse than you've ever had before. And when there are no parents around, you'll be on your own. Got a little Irish there. Um, these aren't those. You're fucked. But these things survive. And what these are is they're, they can survive. A lot of them, not all of them, um, it's kind of, it's kind of insane is like NORAD don't the crux of NORAD aside from all the other awesome shit about it is it lies its survival is based on uh CEP circular circular error probability I think and it's it's the the notion that you'll most likely not score a direct hit because they can't, because because explosions go, isn't it? I think it's like the cube square or the squared cube, whatever. Where an a bomb of one megaton and an a bomb of two megatons. The a bomb of two megatons doesn't have double the blast radius. It's much. It's I'm terrible at math, but it goes out. It's it's the explosive power, right? It goes out. I think it decreases exponentially. So if a one megaton bomb wipes out everything within a mile of where it hits, a two megaton bomb doesn't take out everything within two miles. It might be like a mile and a tenth or a mile and a quarter. And so a 50 megaton doesn't take out 50 miles. It might take out like 10. So it's decreasing uh, return on your genocidal investment, your your GOI, your genocidal return on investment genocide on a return on genocide your your raj your rog your return on genocide which is why we have the 50 megaton bomb um right zarbomba which was supposed to everyone knows was to be it's become as much as a trope now as like sr-71 speed checks the ground speed check story or like did you know steve buscemi was there on 9-11 or you know the plane or the the plane was built around the gun like it's a 50 megatons but it's supposed to be 100 megatons that's because more power it starts to fly up through it out i mean literally out into space and you're you're wasting right you're you're taking out a, a Taliban tent with a 2,000-pound JDAM when you can t- take it out with a, I don't know, $100 mortar round. Point is, it's all of these bunkers were built to survive these things, right? And they can take direct strikes. The DUCC, the DUC, the Deep Underground Command Center, which was proposed during the Kennedy Amendment, excuse me proposed under the kennedy administration and i believe was scrapped under lbj it was supposed to be something like 3500 feet directly below the pentagon there would have been high-speed elevators connecting it down there would have also been a high-speed elevator going straight down from the white house down to the same depth and then there'd be a tunnel going under the potomac that's something that i just I, i hope was built i refuse to believe it wasn't um but it was supposed to be massive and it could survive. And I swear to God. And I remember reading this in Garrett Graff's Raven Rock. I think it was like summer 2019. Uh, my head almost exploded when I was listening to it. It was, um, it could survive direct, multiple direct hits from two to 300 megaton weapons. And when I first read that, one of the reasons why I love Raven Rock so much is because. It's someone like myself who wants the fantastic to be true. 
I want Air Force One to be able to fold its to be, become a swept wing plane and go Mach three. I want that to be true. I want the Aurora SR seventy two to have been true in the eighties. All the skyquakes over LA. I want that to be true. Or as Michael Schratt said, there'd be the with the at the five oh four AM booms over Catalina Island, except for on Thanksgiving, and that's how we knew it was one of our own. I want those things to be true, but deep down I know that they're not. What I loved about Raven Rock is it actually it actually kind of like fucked with my perception of what I thought was real. Like like we have the army and then you know the cream of the crop go to the rangers and the cream of the crop of those go to delta you have the navy the cream of the crop goes to seals the cream of the crop goes to seal team six or dev grew and then from there i always try to teach people about cia sad the special activities division which recruits from both of those and it's like yeah no it gets crazier than you think and i love teaching people about that i love to teach them about how these black ops groups are real but then every once in a while my uh my perception gets shattered. Oh, by the way, everyone watching, see this uh, this hoodie? This uh, Area 50, or it's aliens with Bob Lazar. Yeah, where is Bob? There's old Bobby Laz with all the blueprints. This is a, a sweatshirt I designed. The cuffs and the pocket are the Area 50, or the Roswell newspaper. Yep, that's now available on the TPC Apparel Podcast Store. The link will be in the description and in the top comment. Um, so if you want to support the podcast, go grab yourself a hoodie. Stay warm. Stay warm. Um, as we move towards the warmer months, I'll start making appropriate clothing for those. CIA Special Activities Division, when I talked to Dale Comstock, who was in that unit, as was Joseph Teddy, neither of whom can legally acknowledge that they were. They actually can't. That's why they call it OGA. Uh, Dale calls it OGA. Ted I calls it. Um, Ted I calls it the unit that I was in. Um, not to be confused with Delta, which is capital U, the unit. He said, just says this is the unit I was in. They were both in it. That's the tippy top. It is the actual inspiration for Ian Fleming's James Bond. It is also who Alex Mason and um, uh, Woods were in in uh, Black Ops One and Two, and I guess. I guess Black Ops Cold War as well at Special Activities Division. So it's getting a little more mainstream, which I love. I love that people are learning about it. But then I learned, um, talking to Dale, Dale's writing a book. I remember asking Dale, I was like, Dale, is there anything above CIA Special Activities Division? I was like, what? I was like, come on. What's the hyper black? What is the invisible? Maybe you call it white ops, right? And he said that mercenary work. And I remember when he said that, I was like, that, 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 that kind of sounds like a, like a nothing burger, like mercenary work. Like, uh, huh? you know, you, I kind of think about mercenaries, like, like Blackwater, like you go buy some and they cover your oil rig off the coast of wherever Namibia. I don't even know if Namibia has a coast. Not important. Not important for me. Not important for this podcast. Important for them. And he said, no, this isn't that. He kind of scoffed at that. Dale's a hard ass because I'm, the last episode Dale was on, Dale was talking about uh, the Navy SEALs and BUDS training. 
And I always look at that like that's going to be the hardest shit ever. And Dale's like, yeah, they're laying there doing scissor kicks, lying in the sand, sprinkled in sand like a bunch of sugar cookies. It's like, fuck. You know, Dale shits on them. But Dale said the CIA Special Activities Division was a step above Delta. He was like, Delta's cool and all. But CIA sad is like, you know, you really want to prove yourself. Because there's no, you're not there with a team. You're there solo. Or sorry, you are there with a team. But you don't have like, you you can't call in air support. It's plausible deniability. They say, we don't know who you are if you get caught. There's no, right? Because Delta goes in to get, um, who, who the fuck was the guy? Who was the warlord in um, in uh, Somalia? Uh, Mogadishu. Um, uh, Idid. Yeah, uh, uh, I think Idid. Idid, right? Um, they still had the rangers covering the four blocks around them. You know, when they go, or um, like Devgru, when Devgru goes in to go get uh, Operation Neptune Spear to go get. Uh, been fuckface in uh, Abbottabad, Abbottabad, Pakistan. Um, there's still a bunch of thing, a bunch of, um, if I recall correctly, there's a bunch of, um, there are a bunch of ships and I guess it's need to know, if I recall correctly, it's need to know. They're all, um, all these assets are around and it's like you're kind of, they're kind of on a moment's notice, like a quick reaction force. And, um, so it's still like if shit goes south, they can kind of call, it'll be a big global affair, but they'll, you can still grab them with CIA SAD. There's none of that. It's, you're just, you're downrange with no one except each other in your, you know, in your unit as, as Ted, I always describes it, you know, you can tell cause they're in a tiger stripe BDUs with H and K four sixteens. Money's not a problem. Um, and I'm, so I try to teach people about that just because I think it's badass. Dale told me mercenary work. He said nothing comes close to it. And he hasn't, Dale and I talk off camera uh, and there are certain things that he, and it's not even like he's breaking his, cause he's not going to break OPSEC for my dumb ass, but just stuff that me, maybe doesn't tell him, maybe doesn't say on the podcast cause it's, it's going to be in a book or it's going to be in a movie. That being said, is even off camera, he won't, doesn't tell me a whole lot about mercenary work, which really tickles my grundle. He, um, sorry for that imagery, but, um, but he said nothing compares to it. He said it's a, he said it's, you're, you are one man. It's like the game Hitman. You are James Bond. You are Jason Bourne. It's just you. There's no one else. It's just you. Like, it is. It is the best. It is the Tom Brady. It is the Michael Jordan. The point of all of that is, um, you know, that kind of happened with planes, right? Everyone knows about, you know, 747. Oh, the Airbus A380. And then there's like the CIA SAD is uh, like the Antonov 225. Not a lot of people know about it. And it's like, oh, there's a big boy out there. The mercenary work of planes is the Lockheed Martin CL-1201 which uh, someone finally made an animated video about uh, the YouTube channel found and explained this thing at four times the wingspan of a 747. Um, Raven Rock did that with uh, bunkers, you know, 
everyone, sure, there's a bunker under the White House and there's, you know, all that stuff. But then it's like NORAD. It's like the big boy. What Raven Rock did for me was was it taught me about the duck, the DUCC, capable of withstanding two to 300 megaton uh, direct hits or uh, or a 100 megaton bunker buster, which is insane. <sighs> what the fuck was this episode about? Oh, yeah, uh, War State. Back to the bunkers. So what these are are these solidified, hardened structures, right? Where it's, um, you can have your White House, right? Sure, we have all these security checkpoints. We have all these, I mean, God knows how many cameras have, and, and detection systems have saturated that city over the decades as technology increases. I'm sure there's all sorts of buoys and underground and underwater sonar shit and whatever. Right? But, right, and I'm sure there's... I'm sure there's tons of SAM sites. I'm sure there's tons of Patriot and THAAD missile sites, right? I'm sure that there's probably laser assets. And that's not, I mean, that's not conspiracy. That's, that's, I mean, that's 80 strategic, um, uh, strategic defense initiative. General, um, oh, what is his name? General, um, Abramson, right? Laser weapons, directed energy weapons, you know, so they have their kinetic the garages which is basically these like sam sites in space with these air-to-air missiles but because there's no vertical or horizontal friction relative that they can go up to like super hypersonics in space blah 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 that's i've done an episode on that that's a great thing that's a great rabbit hole to go down if you uh, enjoy that stuff strategic defense initiative try to look up the interviews with uh lieutenant general abramson uh james abramson but he, they talk about do directed energy weapons as well as laser-based weapons. Um, I believe the Soviets tried to put up a, a carbon dioxide-based laser weapon, like liquid carbon dioxide, which is pretty cool. I think it fucked up, though. I don't think it made it to orbit. But they talk about that stuff in the 80s, right? We know that there was the YAL. I think, I think it was the 2000, the YAL, the big chemical uh, airborne laser that we put on a 740s Wii. Uh, Fuck it, we. I was part of it. I was the pilot. Um, I was only 11, but I was the pilot. Right? That those... The bad thing about this microphone is it can now pick up every conversation with my parents downstairs. Sue. But YAL, Airborne Laser System, and the 747, right? Got that big defense that, you know... Dick Cheney was... was, uh, Yes, indeed. Give me $500. Make it rain. Make it rain. Are you the main? That was Dick Cheney after 9-11 with the military industrial complex. Just right. So we know those are things. So I would imagine that there are probably assets like that around D.C. I mean, I, I don't think that's that, that absurd. I'm sure Air Force One has something similar to that, right? We know they have we know they have countermeasures. I bet there's something else up there. Maybe a satellite system that overwatches it. Who knows? But these are these are all predicated upon the notion of the the fifties and sixties of an intercontinental ballistic missile. Sure, we could have your SLBMs, your uh, submarine launch ballistic missiles, which I think the number was um, I think it was John von Neumann. It's one of them in. Uh, and DARPA said that there was 1,600 seconds, basically. That's how close Soviet subs could get. 
um, that their missiles would take 1,600 seconds, which is kind of ironic, right? 1,600 seconds to hit 1,600 uh, Pennsylvania Drive. But um, even that, let's say laser-based systems, kinetic-based systems, let's say we did strategic defense initiative just on a DC scale, right? Impenetrable domes, um, Sprint ABM, Nike Zeus, all those missiles and shit. Even those are those are predicated upon a warhead being launched, um, a a vessel, whether it be a silo, a, bom- a, a silo, a bomber, or a submarine, launching this this vest, this mode of transport, liquid fuel, solid rocket fuel, whatever, with a warhead at the end, and then the warhead breaks off, and that goes onto its trajectory. Sure, we can get into like now we're looking more so at like hypersonics, missiles, glide vehicles, all that shit. Uh, Falcon HTV, um, Wave Rider uh, X, uh, the Wave Rider, yeah. These are all predicated upon that basic thing, though, right? Platform, source of fuel, warhead, right? They're all based upon that and defending against that. And if I can point out flaws in this, then I can only imagine that. Uh, Pentagon war planners, strategists, analysts, all that shit have done it as well. Sorry, I got to keep the Xbox from, from going to sleep. Because I'm downloading my games. Come on. Okay, it's still alive. If I can understand and hypothesize these problems, then uh, so can they. And um, like them or not, uh, Stephen Greer... Uh, the unacknowledged uh, UFO, uh, one of my favorite uh, UFO authors up there with Larry Holcomb um, and Leslie Kane. But he, in one of his lectures, he he gave a kind of said something that is true. He said, if it's above ground, it's not truly important. It's fungible. It's replaceable. True importance is below ground. And I would circle back around to Raven Rock by Garrett Graff that um, maybe this episode isn't again isn't about the war state. Who who gives a fuck? Um, he said that during the Kennedy administration, Kennedy was um, having lunch with some journalist who was schmoozing, getting up there with the the DC elite, and obviously Kennedy was the head one. Um, and I've talked about this before in Raven Rock. He talks about how he's meeting with this guy, and um, he's meeting with this journalist, and they're they're eating, and he's saying um, he's saying how you know shit's really kind of kicking up in Berlin. Um, Germany, obviously. And, um, and, uh, the journalist goes, I mean, like, I kind of get what they mean. And Ken- Kennedy's like, huh? And he's like, well, you know, there's a capitalist enclave in the middle of a Soviet occupied city. Obviously, there's the East and the West, and then there's the actual city, which is, it's kind of like a yin yang, which is odd. And then the journalist looks at Kennedy. So Ken- he goes, he goes, I kind of get him, and Kennedy, if I remember correctly, Kennedy says, says what? And he's like, well, you know, there's a there's a bustling capitalist enclave, enclave within a Soviet ocean. And that's what, and so, you know, I get their concern, and then says something along the lines of, well, think about, you know, our concern here in D.C. There is a bustling Soviet enclave, or communist enclave, just down the road, the Soviet embassy. So think of the sort of, you know, concern you have about that height of the Cold War. We have this bustling communist enclave. Well, you know, that's how they see it, right? 
but it's even more so because it's not that we have a U.S. Uh, embassy, obviously. But then imagine if there's a whole U.S. held half of a city, right? So he's like, it's, you know, it's basically saying, like, I kind of see, like, you know, where they're coming from. And Kennedy, apparently, in, in, in Garrett Graff's words, pauses spoon halfway between uh, soup and mouth and says you know they have an A-bomb or says they have an a- they have an A-bomb in the Soviet embassy I'm talking about in DC and the guy goes sure you know just and he goes no really they snuck in the pieces in diplomatic pouches and constructed it in the attic and the guy goes I think he says again he goes sure why not kind of fuck it let's you know sure let's whatever we're eating drinking let's let's war game this and he goes no there's an atomic bomb up there something along the lines of they have first strike capabilities there will be no warning it'll be instantaneous and they can take out the pentagon the capitol and the white house and the guy says like haha to which kennedy says that's what i'm told do you know something i don't supposedly somehow or another we did try to search for it and at least in what's been declassified we never found it whether or not it ever existed whatever but that's something i've often thought about i thought about in 2016 uh, I, I wrote this kind of sci-fi story about if you truly wanted control what you would do is you wouldn't do this first strike bullshit of icbms hypersonic missiles whatever you would do what the British did. Not hypothesize, but what the British did. I don't know if they actually made them, but it's in, um, it's in, um, oh, what is his name? Uh, Dr. Hofton. Hofton? I cannot remember his first name. Um, Phil? Bill? Jim? Uh, whatever. He wrote the book Nuking the Moon. He was the curator at the National Spy Museum. He came on this podcast and um, he wrote about in his book, Nuking the Moon, which is a fantastic read about uh, about these nuclear landmines that I believe the British, it was the, I believe it was the British. It might've been us with them. But the idea was, the idea was to make these nuclear landmines and because the areas that they would have been buried in could have been subject to permafrost or at least temporary frost i guess normal frost um they had to stay warm and then but there's all these you know can we have a work running generator down there i mean these things weren't just landmines they had like rooms like these were like tiny little bunkers almost um and what they did was they actually filled it with like uh like chicken feed uh they had like water and they would put chickens down there and the chicken's body heat would keep it just just where it needed to be and they would just sit around in the dark down there these things were insulated so their heat would you know maintain it at whatever it needed to be maintained and it's not necessarily that it's hot it's just that it's not like a thermal clusterfuck right so these things would be down there eating shitting out or you know giving birth and dying in this weird little menial existence what if that's all humanity is (laughs) is we're just this we're just this weird occupier, right? 
we're just this weird thing that some alien force dumped on earth and they're like yeah can you guys just keep it warm fuck what if that's what it is what if that's what global warming is can you guys just keep it warm and we're like what what's the meaning of life is there christ is there buddha is there and it's like now nah, y'all are just keeping this rock warm and you'll have done your job when you're vaporized <laughs> jesus christ um but the purpose was um that these would have been there and we would have we would have put them all across you know kind of like a Maginot line if you will to stop an invading soviet force and then not only that the idea and i don't believe this is in um what is his name often dr hofton alex allen rick i'm this is gonna this is gonna kill me if i don't look it up um but the idea was and you see it in um Dr. Hofton, come on. Um, Spy Museum. Vince. Dr. Vince Hofton. H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. But the idea was that you could use these for any area that you wanted to deny. Um, Not in the same sense of denial, at least I don't believe in the sense of a cobalt salted bomb where it's like true denial of territory, because obviously it's you're not denied territory in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? Because it's been 75 years and those are those places are just fine. So it's not the whole you won't be able to be there for 500,000 years, right? Like at Chernobyl. The idea of assaulted bombs was to make actual denied territories like permanently denied like you could not go there basically like um chernobyl on demand right that's crazy cod call of duty chernobyl on command cod cod and that's the fucking that's the plot of the of a um, black ops cold war is operation Greenlight, right i haven't played the game but i know that's the plot is that you put uh you put nukes under european cities in the case that the soviets ever try to occupy them we don't need to worry about first strike just just take them out make an impenetrable line of radioactive hell that they can't go through or you wait until they're occupied in there wait till all their forces are there let them set up forward operating bases get them nice and juicy and then vaporize them and there is some there is some scientific i don't think we're going to get to the book war state which whatever it's a solo rant. Buckle the fuck up. There is some historical accuracy in Operation Greenlight, in that the name Greenlight, there are th- these things called Greenlight teams. Um, American war hero who's still alive, and I would really like to get him on here, Billy Waugh, W-A-U-G-H, who is the, um, I would say, main character although the book isn't really like that. It's a nonfiction book. Surprise Kill Vanish by Annie Jacobson, author of uh, The Pentagon's Brain, DARPA, author of Phenomena, author of Operation Paperclip, author of Surprise Kill Vanish, and and, uh, author of Area 51. I love her. Um, But she she talked to uh, Billy Waugh, who's, I believe, in his 90s now, Billy Wall remembers Pearl Harbor. He fought in Korea and he fought in Operation uh, Iraqi Freedom and everything in between. He hunted the the jackal. Um, 
He said he got within like arm's reach of Bin Laden in the early 2000s. He, this guy, this guy is right now. Dale Comstock is Billy Waugh. Give Dale another 30 years, and he will be the new Billy Waugh. Um, just you know, the, the veteran soldier, where it's like you know, knock at the door, and he's in his cabin in the woods, and you know, it's the president. And it's like, we need you, Bill. And he's like, I got out of this shit. And he's like, there comes a time where we just need you, Bill. You're the only one who can, you know. And the trope would, I'm just making this all up, you know. And he'd be like, can't you go get Bob or Kevin? And he's like, they're both dead. Damn it, Bill. Fuck. Swore over my daughter's life. I wouldn't get back into this shit. You know, we need you. And then, right, then it would play like his, it would play like the doo-doo, like, Fuck. Right? Maybe some John Wick, he breaks up the floor and pulls out the gun. Anyway. Um, yeah, I just have all those tropes, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, Operation Greenlight, which Billy Wall is part of, the Greenlight teams. And that's where these guys would jump out of the backs of planes or they'd get on little dinghies. But uh, it's even crazier that they actually used to jump off of planes strapped to their chest would be these like one kiloton maybe two kiloton (laughs) nuclear warheads when they got really good at sandia oak ridge where they they really kind of shrunk them down right they get that technology where it's not just a smaller computer computers just take the size of the room but rather they get them the size of microchips hell we did it with a bombs too because why not baby so we get these things to the size of kind of like big like the big brothers of like claymores right I think they'd weigh like a hundred some pounds. It's they kind of made it just it's like wearing a backpack backwards, kind of. Not that I, you know, I, you know, I forget from all my time jumping out of planes with a bomb strapped to my chest. But um, they would take these in there, and that they would go set these things up, and they would do tests with them. We had all these islands out in the South Pacific. I'm sure we still do, but we would go do runs where these uh, these green light teams, which are highly classified, they would go in and insert a bomb. So it wouldn't be we're detecting a massive uh, boob bolt out of the blue uh, nuclear attack, you know, a bunch of ICBM, ICBMs, ICBMs coming over the poles. Not Polish people, but rather the north and southernmost pieces of the globe. Right, we have Curtis LeMay would send these, you know, all these um, B, whatever they were, the what was the Hustler, the B-47, I think, would send these sprinting right to the lines of the Soviet Union, turn around, not that, or all these subs, blah, 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 big military buildup. But the idea was that we would place these in there. So we have the British putting their underground nuclear landmines, and then we also have the uh, the green light teams. Combine the two, and I think that's where you, I believe that's where you get Call of Duty, uh, Cold War, or Black Ops, Cold War, is green light teams where you put all the bombs under. So it's you've you've won before the game starts, right? It's like going up to someone on a street and being like, "Would you like to agree to a duel?" And they're like, "Ah, you know what?" And they're like, "You know, I'll give you a million dollars if you win." You get talking to them and they're finally like, "Yeah, I'll do a duel." And it's like, "Well, before we even start talking, I had a beat on you." Right? So it's it's you win before you start. So. Oh, I kind of got to pee. I got to pee. So, um, can you guys hang in there? Doesn't ma- oh, shit. Doesn't matter if you can or not. Because you don't have a choice. I'm going to the bathroom. What? 
Very tall. Okie dokie. Sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> so, what is the purpose of this whole rant? Point being, right? First strike, you want immediate strike, you want instantaneous strike, you don't want any gap at any time, you want to beat the, beat them before you start, win the, win the battle before it even begins, or win the fight before it begins. So, with above ground structures, that's what I think the concern has to come to. So I've always wondered, why do we even have a Pentagon? Why do we even have a White House? Why aren't these all in NORADs? Like, why not just... Because NORAD... I, I, it's like the idea that Area 51 probably doesn't have top secret shit there anymore because not only has there been the Soviet satellite eyes and then later the Chinese eyes on them, but now the pu public's eyes have been on them ever since Bob Lazar, shout out Bob, came out in 89. There's the idea that we keep that as sort of a false trail, a false scent, a faux scent, and we've moved everything to some other base somewhere, who knows, maybe it's in Tool Greenland, maybe it's in Antarctica, maybe it's in fucking Montana, who knows. Okay, the whole idea with NORAD, NORAD was a little odd because NORAD was never classified. I mean, you can't get in there, but I mean, from the get-go, it was like announced that we were building it. Like, you know, they, you know, we, you go out there and you mean you could only get so close because it's a military installation, but it's, um, the, the thing was never, the thing was never a secret. Like, we are building this impenetrable doomsday bunker under a granite mountain. It's almost like that's how certain they were that this thing was just like, you can't even fuck with it. Is like, I mean, right? Because if, if I can create a force field around my house, I'll just be like, this is my command center. Like, good luck. I really need to lose weight. I can see my double, triple chin. Yeah, I got a double. Yeah, I got the triple chin going now. That's impressive. Um, so that's kind of always been my thought process is like a normal kid, this is what I thought about, is how come the, you know, I, I get, I remember reading years ago from some Secret Service or maybe former Secret Service guy or whatever, he was saying the president wishes that, you know, on one bubble, the president wishes that they could be going out and kissing babies every day and not some weird pedophile sense, but rather the public relations sense. the secret service wishes that every day they were in a bunker a mile underground what we get is this shitty venn diagram in the center right so one thing i, I guess i was just always i was like why would you not even just have all these in a bunker and then okay maybe it's optics maybe you want to have the white house be like this is where democracy lives okay sure right you got to have that that image of the Pentagon with the flag in front of it. Sure, I get it. You gotta have that bit. Maybe you can't be clearing thousands of people every day to come into... But I don't know. We do that with NORAD, though. 
so that's what I've always wondered is why, why, how come we even have these above ground structures? We're sure you can make them bulletproof. You could put Kevlar on the walls. You could put reinforced concrete. You could put, you could put bomb proof concrete, right? I mean, if we can have bunker busters, why can't we build something that protects against bunker busters? To which the only logical conclusion I can come to is that these aren't the heads of where power lies, but these are rather masks. It'd be like, um, what's a way to, to say it? Would be like, um, maybe the Greenbrier Hotel. I think that's a good analogy. The Greenbrier Hotel, which I think went defunct in the 80s or 90s, possibly 70s. I think it was, I think this, it, it's this super schmoozy upper crust uh, hotel. I think like an hour, maybe two hours north or south from DC. And it can be um, reached directly by rail. So no, no traffic lights, right? No traffic. And we needed a spot to put all of Congress in the event of a nuclear war. Um, and it was this big schmoozy hotel. And these front companies um, built by whatever the continuity of government. There's got to be an agency, right? Because there's CogCon and then there's, funny, there's CogCon, right? Continuity of Constitution, which is actually within CogCon. It's much more. Um, maybe I need to listen to Raven Rock again. God, that book is so good. I've listened to it probably 10 times. I love it. But there's something even more secretive than CogCon. There's CogCon. And there's one more in between. Um, but the centermost one is const is the continuation of the constitution, the continuation of, uh, of, of de a democratic Republic. It's the core of everything. It is to survive no matter what, right? It's like the gold record we put on Voyager too. getting, there's no topic. Why don't I even try and pretend it? I said we're getting off topic. It's, um, fuck. What was it? Where was I getting at? But not Greenbrier, Greenbrier. So so we so part of i guess yeah yeah there's yeah that's that's what i think there's got to be an agency for cogcon right because the nsa was a denied agency no such agency for like 20 years the nro was even more secretive i don't think for longer but more secretive until it came out there's got to be agencies right now that we don't know about not that they have classified things but that their very nature is classified i for one don't think that space force is being created i think it's being declassified um so Whatever this agency is that or body that creates continuity of government, um, physical planning, not just the, not just the planning, but the, the physical structures, which, I mean, I would imagine they just made one of these things for Congress to tell them to sort of shut the fuck up. And I know that the mind goes, well, Congress probably allotted funding for it, so they wanted their own. I think a lot of this stuff, if they really want it, they don't give a fuck about Congress. They just say national security, eat a dick. But regardless, they made one for Congress. And it's just such a hacky boomer humor. And like Congress, it was bloated. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was this huge bunker built up at the Greenbrier Hotel. Like I said, connected directly by rail. And this this US government shell company bought the land, this the owner uh, the owner was uh, background checked and basically cleared. 
who's read in uh, without being asked. They're just like, come here, fucker. You're going to know about the U.S. government's doomsday plans now. And this guy was just like, I just run this hotel. Um, not the case. It was a super nice hotel. This guy's definitely upper crust himself. Um, but they said, like, we need, we, this is within, you know, with within distance to the U.S. Capitol. We need to be able to evacuate off, ev- evacuate off Congress, evacuate off Congress. And um, we need it to be uh, secretive. Again, odd because NORAD wasn't secretive. I don't think I don't think Site R was either. Nor do I think Mount Weather was. But for whatever reason, this thing was secretive. And what we did was, if you can't tell, I kind of make a lot of these. I do that when I'm thinking. This is how I teach myself as I just talk out loud. I just happen to be recording this and it's a podcast, but this is how my mind works. I just make noise. Regardless of the reasoning, there was this thing called the Greenbrier. And the Greenbrier, it's a big schmoozy hotel, right? Just choose your your big fancy hotel on like a, you know, like a PGA golf course kind of thing. And because it was already there and they're always expanding these things, kind of like Area 51, kind of always adding more shit, maybe Dubai-ish, kind of those vibes. Speaking of which, there's supposed to be a level in Hitman 3 about Dubai. Really looking forward to that. Um, so the Greenbrier Hotel, always always constructing things, right? And so we needed a place to build while... Um, kind of being hidden under a mask of other construction. Like, you know, when they're putting in a bunker under the White House, it might be during a renovation in which they're also putting up some more publicly acknowledged things, maybe a new newsroom, maybe a new um, uh, war room or whatever. This, but Not the Situation Room, that's Wolf Blitzer. What's the, um, maybe it is in the White House, right? But it's, it'd be like if you wanted to build a bunker in Atlanta, and you found out they were getting rid of the Georgia Dome and building the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you would maybe go read in the CEO and be like, your guys are also going to construct a bunker. And all anyone else needs to know is that this is construction, right? Get that real sneaky, sneaky. So that's what they did with the Greenbrier. And the purpose, I know I've been on this for like 10 minutes, and I'm clearly talking in circles. This happens too. So they built this whole thing, and they also built other shit. There was a new um, like conference room. Think of like the World Convention Center. I think that's it, the world, or the con- conference center in Atlanta, that huge building. Um, they built this whole new thing. Maybe they put in a couple. I think they went from like 9 to 18 holes. That's what she said. But that's not what she said. That would be a terrible, terrible medical emergency. But... So they built all this shit, and if you looked closely, if you're paying attention, or you were um, educated in what to look for, you could see that it didn't add up. Why did they need like a whole fleet of of dump trucks? Why were why were they bringing in enough explosive charges to remove like ten times the amount of earth that they supposedly were moving? You know, they had the, you know, why build a conference room that, you know, could seat a hundred people, but why did it have like four sets of bathrooms, each one with like 50 stalls, right? It'd be like building McDonald's that had 
like a 30 bay like a 30 bed medical center and like a hundred thousand gallons of like drinkable water it just wouldn't really add up right we see this a lot we see this with um we see this with the backbone of the survival uh, telecommunications that's not the name of it but there's um i think it was at&t built the whole survival network of uh of the they literally had their own like doomsday backbone and they didn't just use the normal civilian peon lines but they actually had their own network of imagine like you know the commercials at&t this is your coverage verizon here's your cover coverage they actually built this whole physical infrastructure for this uh this government communications um i guess network and it had five tiers it was it was like normal emergency immediate uh, flash and then flash one or something and there's oh, yet all these different priorities one could override others had to wait blah 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 and these things not only did they have their own network but they actually a lot of them they would you know they have the tower somewhere and the next to the tower they'd have what looked like the top of a like a nuclear silo and uh, a nuclear missile silo and that was for when like a thermonuclear bomb would you know predictably vaporize it and everything around it which first of all was kept secret no one knew about this backbone except for at&t that's why the pentagon actually stepped in and i want to say the 70s to break or halt a state department movement to um use an antitrust law against them the pentagon stepped in and was like yo that's national security get a little hairy but um so not only did the people not actually know about these but sorry, so if one would vaporize, then that, that thing would open up and a new tower would actually <laughs> come up again, like a like a lizard growing a tail or something. And I don't know how many backups they had of that, but m- maybe one, I don't know. I would like to believe, I would love to believe if they had 10, because I can't take anything at face value. I have to have it be more fantastic than it really is. But even the crews there were classified. No one... So even if you did get up there, it would just look like a normal AT&T tower. But even that wasn't enough. These things were classified. The government actually hired uh, um, water trucks or as like sewer trucks to actually go up and down these pat- these like logging trails up in the mountains to make it look like it was just a normal fucking thing for anyone watching. Because this is what right if you're Soviet if you're Soviet infiltrators or saboteurs this is what you're looking for you got to hit them in the weak spot don't try to take on NORAD try to take out the communication systems and but these things would have these like uh, they'd have like a little like security kind of kiosk if you will where there'd just be like two guys there but then they would have these parking garages with like 500 slots and this is all up on a hill in the middle of Bumblefuck Appalachia. And it would be like, why, why is this seemingly like, like hot dog vendor sized building in the middle of nowhere next to a parking garage that looks more fit for a football game. And that's because it was all underground. So for the Greenbrier, it's, if you were looking closely, you could kind of see those discrepancies where it would be like. You're adding this new conference room. Why do you have 400 toilets? You're, you know, you're digging up this foundation. Why are you removing like enough earth to build a strip mine? Like, what is all of this? Why, why are you getting the Mosler Save Company to build these industrial doors to put in front of seemingly a hillside? 
and that was because they were building this big ass bunker there but it was hidden and it's also so the, the more important thing i want to get at is is it's not it's not just the whole high of the construction blah 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 the purpose is is you have what just looks like a normal building greenbrier probably just some fancy schmantz building with some like ornate trimmings right a bomb goes off <sighs> that thing is just vaporized right those old a bomb films were like right at the immediate thermal pulse you have all the paint vaporized and then you have that you know the overpressure kind of just blow it all away like a leaf blower up against a card tower but imagine if you have a card castle right thermal pulse blows off all the ink and then comes the punch now imagine if you take that leaf blower right and you take it to a car a house of cards right and you blow it all away and then imagine at the center of it is you know a metal box You'd be like, I wasn't expecting that. Or maybe it wouldn't even be. Maybe you have the card castle, right? It's on the front lawn. You take the leaf blower to it and it blows it all away like an A-bomb would. And there might be like a little metal box and you kind of uncover some dirt and you realize there's like a whole, you know, metal crate buried under your lawn. It survived. And it survived masquerading as another building. And so it seems that there's there seems to be more defense behind that because if you just have your like little metal building and you know it's the tip of an iceberg that in itself would probably i would imagine draw attention to a nuclear targeting strike group or whatever the equivalent is you know your soviets and you're looking over all your shit in your big war room a la dr strangelove is you'd be looking for that metal box clearly that is important it is a 99 percent buried metal box but if you cover it and say, and not even in the faux sense of where we had like, we had like bomber factories, I think somewhere in the Midwest. And then we, we would draw over these big fake towns, these big, just, we'd put them over these hills. We'd, we'd like cover these factories with dirt. And then we'd put like, I mean, whole towns, like just like the kind of towns you'd put up, ironically enough, the kind of towns you would put up, uh, in, in the Nevada test site when you're testing the early A-bombs back when they were still just in the kilotons. But which is odd because we built these before the A-bombs we were using then because we built these in, during World War II to, I guess, prevent against bomber runs. If it just looks like another town, you're probably not going to expend your... Lo- no. <laughs> probably not going to blow your load on it. Not to be confused with, like you know, the inflatable tanks that Patton used to throw off the Nazis when Eisenhower came through and skull-fucked them on D-Day. Maybe there's some more strength in it being hidden uh, as something else because you're not even looking for that. Unless, of course, granted, I think it was... I think it was Oppenheimer, it might have been Truman, said, like, hydrogen bomb. Like, there's something evil about hydrogen bombs because they have a built-in policy of extermination as opposed to military strategy. Um, but it seems like that, yeah, maybe that's what it is, right? It, it Wasn't that one of the Star Wars movie where the queen is actually one of the queen's bodyguards? Yeah, we have the it'd be like if the president was actually one of the Secret Service members and President Biden was just, like was actually like a secret service guard or something. And then the actual president was one of the agents, right? It's kind of that, you know, throw them off the trail. It's, it seems like to me, that's what I think would, you would have to have, right? I just don't see them. I mean, I think that's a very dated idea. 
you know, Mr. President, we got to take you to wherever, Raven Rock. Like, we got to get out of here now. The A-bomb's going to hit in 10 minutes. Like, I, th- I mean, I would think that you were prepared for, I mean, like a couple seconds heads up, right? I mean, why would you not... And then furthermore, you don't want you don't want the enemy to know that you are now operating underground at all times because they're just going to up their weaponry and then just stitch stuff back and forth forever and ever. And it will go forever from swords and shields to now. But I feel like you would have like a bunker under the White House where like you do everything. And you just leave that facade where it looks very weak and it's just this fucking wooden and stone structure that would be vaporized by but in reality you vaporize it but like the bunker's still there just fine kind of like the black box of like the plane right so it seems like I feel like those have to exist and of course the real strength in them would come from secrecy now that whole explanation an hour and ten minutes in or Nope, an hour and one minute in. Was I wanted to get to... So that's the physical apparatus that exists just under the fungible, disposable structures. Pentagon, White House, Capitol. All right, we have SIDAR, Mount Weather, Greenbrier, NORAD. This book I'm reading, War State, is about... Um, I guess more of like the the intangible corollary to it. It's the power structure, not necessarily related to continuity of government or nuclear war, but rather that very notion of an existential threat to an existing power structure. And I think it's interesting that so I'm not actually talking about the like the actual like personnel, uh, the personnel parallel to the physical bunkers, the relocation arc. You have your bunkers and then you have your people that man the bunkers. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is it's an analogous relocation arc. I mean, I would imagine that there's probably some overlap, right? Why would they not be interested in these nuclear-hardened, buttoned-up, radioactive, biological-proof structures? What I'm looking at, or at least getting interested in, is... um. This actual idea of a, of a deep state, a military-industrial complex, a technocratic global banker elite, whatever. Whatever it is, the entrenched power structure, the sonic conspiracy that's as old as man itself. I like that idea because it makes me think of, like, those anthills where you see... I don't know if you've ever seen those videos, but if you haven't, you should look them up. You, you take... You take liquid metal, these guys, they'll melt down aluminum or whatever, and they'll find this big anthill. It's pretty fucked up. But they'll dump the, the molten metal down. They'll dump gallons of it. Then they'll let it kind of cool overnight, and then they'll come out, and they'll dig up this big chunk of land, and they'll pull it up with like a fucking whatever, some piece of machinery, and then they power wash it off, and you have what looks like a, like a three-dimensional it's a well. It's not what it looks like. It's what it is. It's a three-dimensional casting of the ant hill. And granted, all the ants are dead, but you have this like beautiful, ornate ant hill made out of just metal. And it's kind of, it's a very good analogy actually for what I'm talking about with these whole hardened structures. You have these things that you can 
blow away everything else, right? So let's imagine that that's, let's say the anthill was just metal. Let's say that was a natural process of ants as they make these metal structures. On the surface, you would just see the little dirt anthill. You go kick it, haha, <laughs> stupid ants. But the reality is, is like when shit went down and there was a flood or an earthquake, there's actually this metal structure that is not affected at all. So I think that, and again, there's probably overlap with the actual physical structures just because, you know, safety, um, continuity of whatever your operation is. But more importantly, metaphorically, I think that there is, um, I think that there is probably a group or a deep state, a military industrial complex, a scientific elite that, that metaphorically exists in the same way. Presidents can come and go. Prime ministers can come and go. There can be depressions, recessions. There can be bubbles and booms. There can be whatever. Nations can redraw borders and there can be marching armies and whatever. But there seems to be this power elite that, again, probably have their own bunkers if they're not... I don't know why you would have your own, though. I feel like if you were truly nefarious, you would sink your teeth into these public, these government sectors and drain the funds from the the masses to build whatever. The point is is that metaphorically, it's not an A-bomb, it's a 2016 Make America Great Again. It's not an A-bomb, it's a blue wave. It's not an A-bomb, it's a Joe Biden build back better right? It's not a hydrogen bomb. It's a shift of power from the United States to China or from Germany and Italy and Japan to the United States and Britain or whatever, or from Britain to the United States or or whatever. It's the shift in power because we see power move around, right? Around the globe, Granted, it's on the course of, it's on the scale of centuries and millennia, but I mean, we see it move from, you know, Egypt and the Great Pyramids. We see it to Alexander the Great, the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire. We see it, you know, we see it go to Genghis Khan. We see it through the dynasties in China. We see the British Empire. It's like these power things move around, right? Kind of like a magnet through like a field of like ferrous shavings. But there seems to be this entrenched structure that metaphorically is very similar to these hardened nuclear structures. Everything around, everything above can change, even be obliterated. Not these things. These stay. Four-year elections, terms, inflation, economic booms and busts, whatever. It seems there's this thing that exists within I mean, ironically, the deep state. It's quite literally the state deeper down. But it seems that's what it is. And this book, uh, War State by, I think it's Michael Wright, by Michael Swanson, The War State, that's what it kind of seems to be. And I'm only partway through it, so I'll finish it. Um, but that might have to be the next solo rant is the actual war state. So today wasn't really about the war state. And if you've listened through this whole thing, I'm sorry because we didn't hit on that, but perhaps tomorrow we will. Perhaps we will not.
who cares? I don't. I uh, hope you enjoy the podcast, as always. Um, there is apparel now. There's apparel. I did buy the domain, Tommy's Podcast. It's going to take a little bit to switch it over to the apparel store. Apparel, All the apparel you see online, 100% designed by me. I do this podcast. I find the guests. I email the guests. I buy their books. I read their books. I research their books. I set up interviews. I have them on. I interview them. I record it. I edit it. I produce it. I upload it. I put it in my own continuity of podcast safe. I put it online. I try to market it. All this stuff, I designed these. Designed these between 2017 through um, through 2019. A lot of these designs took hundreds of hours. I uploaded these. I made the I made the online apparel store. I got it incorporated. I did all the fucking stupid tax shit. I uploaded the files. I learned. Had operated the Shopify, Printful, Printify, blah 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 blah. All the weird shipping and taxes and uh, different sizes and variants and stocks and blah 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 blah. This is a one-man operation. If you enjoy this, please buy some apparel. The next purchase for this podcast, as you can see, and go back to the first episode and go to now, you can see how things have changed. I would say for the better, perhaps not the content, but the actual physical technological setup uh, has gotten better. The next step is to move from a laptop to a full-fledged desktop, whether that be a built PC or a Mac. We don't know, but it's going to be uh, whatever the, the biggest fastest meanest computer I can find is. I'd love to, I'd love to upload an 8K. I'd love to get even better lighting, even better microphones. I'd love to get my own apartment. I want to get a room where I can just do studio. I mean, I've got some like I've got some like baseline sound suppression right now. And by that, I mean it's a bunch of black moving blankets hung up on tripods and bureaus and file cabinets around me to sort of produce this shitty not well done semicircle around me. Um microphone still don't really know how to use it um but it's it's definitely the i would say the podcast quality is growing um so if you enjoy this podcast and you enjoy seeing it grow please go buy some apparel get part of the patreon patreon right now is at 26 dollars a month swinging from the knees shout out kiro garrett and aj um i am i'm i'm torn on patreon because I've only ever paid for one thing on Patreon, and that's the Tim Dillon show. And I will do that until the end of time. Tim Dillon's the funniest man to have ever lived. I will die on that hill. Um, I paid for his because he does one episode a week. But if you get on Patreon, he does a Patreon episode a week. So you can get two a week. I can't get enough of him. It's five bucks. I do it. It's fine. I, I will always do that. He's hilarious. He can also do that because he's funny as fuck. He's funnier than any man alive. He's been on Rogan a couple times. He is the new Rogan, in my opinion. I'm torn on doing that because I don't want my Patreon members to just to just kind of get on the Patreon and not get anything in return. Like I kind of feel like that's a shitty deal for them. However, at 1,839 subscribers, I think the more advantageous thing to do for this podcast is to not have like premium content that you have to pay to get. 
I don't think I'm there. I don't think I can, you know, Rogan got big enough to where he could say, all right, fork it out. I'm going to Spotify. I think that was the nail in the coffin for him in all of my wisdom. Um, Tim Dillon, even Tim, I, I've turned on so many friends to Tim Dillon. I think if he put all of his content online, he would probably have a bigger following. Sure. He wouldn't get the 80,000 a month from Patreon that he's getting right now. But if you could access all that content for free, I mean, I think that would indirectly lead to a contract worth more than what he's getting now. So for me, part of me wants to put the the solo rants on Patreon and you can pay to get, but I think it's going to benefit me more in the long run, benefit the podcast more. If I just put everything up on YouTube and bit shoot and rumble for free. And then we'll just, it'll just, if it can reach more people that way, if more people can get hooked in, I don't know, you know, I'm tempted to put it on Patreon and you five bucks a month and you can watch these solo episodes, but it's like, how many people is that really going to pull in versus how many people is that? Am I going to exclude because they didn't reach it? Um, yeah. So I don't know, probably not going to do any Patreon content, which, Hey, I completely get if you don't want to join the Patreon, what the fuck are you getting out of it? True. But, uh, that's where my logic is right now. Um, so yeah, Patreon, go to the apparel store. If you want anything, if you like anything on the apparel store, if you see design, but you don't see it on an article of clothing that you'd like, just comment and I'll, I'll take one of the designs and I'll slap it on there. There's just too many possible things that I don't put it on all of it. It's not necessarily like, um, it's not something where you're like, Oh, I want this on a wallet. Like some things you can do that on other websites, but the way I design this stuff, I design it in a way that you other that companies don't offer it's a it's a way of like fully covering shit and i kind of incorporate the actual dimensions and shape of the clothing with the design it's a i can't go in and make every every article of clothing well i could but i just don't have the time i would have to do that all day every day for a year so really a lot of the stuff is like it's on a hoodie it's on like yoga pants it's on like a long sleeve shirt, short sleeve shirt, and then like a unisex tank top. And that's just kind of right down the middle. If you want it on something that you can't find, like a beanie or a backpack or a socks, comment and I'll, I'll go slap the design on there. Probably not going to be making new designs for a while. I haven't for the last year or so. It's just not where my heart is right now. Um, and when I put my heart in, I can make dope shit like this. I don't really think that forcing this stuff works. Um, yeah, this is the hoodie. It's pretty dope. You've seen me wear it before. Um, but, uh, yeah. So Patreon apparel and, um, yeah, I hope by the end of 2021, get a new dope computer and really kind of try to step up the quality even more. It would be computer and it would be, well, it would be getting my own apartment so that I could take a room and kind of really, you know, put a bunch of sound absorbing panels up and everything, try to increase the quality even more. Um, yeah, definitely faster internet. That would be, and that wouldn't be an expense. I'd want like gigabit ethernet. Cause there's, I, 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 you know, now when you see Rogan on Spotify and he puts them up, but you don't get, you watch them and it's a week later and they're kind of granted. A lot of them aren't time sensitive, but I find there's always something a little more uh, attractive about finding a podcast that was uploaded that day and it's from a couple hours earlier. It's, I don't know, you kind of sync with it a little more. 
podcasts like this take hours and hours and hours to upload. I would like to get them up in maybe like 30 minutes. I think that would be cool. Um, but no, did it die? Nope, not yet. Um, yeah, so that's what the money will go to. Um, good vibes. I think it's going to work. I think it's going to work. I think something's going to click. I think the podcast is going to take off and people are going to discover it. And like me discovering Tim Dillon, I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Oh no, he only does an episode a week. Oh, he already has 200 episodes. They're each an hour long. I went and bought the whole library and I've been listening to it nonstop. That's it. That's what I'm going to start doing as soon as I stop recording this is turn on Tim Dillon. Um, I'm hoping that the podcast catches on. And then one day people are like, oh, what is this thing? It, it, this guy has episodes. It 329 episodes. Wow, there's something I can listen to as I pass the time before I dissolve back into the void. You know, something like that. So um, I think it's going to work. I would really like to come back and look at this episode one day and smile on uh, Wednesday, January 27th at 2.55 p.m. 2021. Uh, we're at 1,839 subscribers and 329 episodes as of this episode. I live with my parents. I'm 30 and a half years old. And uh, I'd like to... I look back at my early episodes and I even look at where I was in life then, even just a year ago. And I am i can't help but like fondly smile because I'm like, dude, it's already come so far. Um, you know, I keep metrics every day of all the data of this podcast and, and I... On the Excel sheet, I was just scrolling through the other day, and I realized way out in the bottom, after like hundreds of blank spaces, there's a date, and it's April 25th, 10 days after the uh, the anniversary of my brother's suicide, and I was like, ooh, what would that be? That's the only reason. It's because it was a clean 10 days after. I thought, was did I have some goal? And I realized that's the, the, the goal I, I extrapolated this past summer onto when I would get to 1,000 subscribers. So I, I, I extrapolated that in like maybe July 2020. But now I'm at 1,839 and it's in January 2021. So I was hoping to get to 1,000 by April 2021. So I already, I kind of, I can look back at it and like smile at where it's gone. Um, and I would like to look back at this, this summer, this fall, this Christmas. I would like to look back at this January and be like, dude, you're, you, it's, it's just going to get so much better. So, um, that's not to say I'm sad for it is. I'm very happy. This is one of the happiest I've ever been in my life. Um, really kind of seems like things are all coming together for the first time in a long time um obviously everyone has their own battles and we're all going uphill but i've got a podcast this afternoon i'm going on somebody else's podcast for the th- third time ever the first time was a uh, uh uh josh newman's reality playground podcast the second time was i went on don the pleb uh plebeian media um, and I'm going on my friend, Laura Shepard, episode 269 on this podcast. Uh, she's finally starting her own. And so, uh, I think it's episode one. I think we're going to go fuck around and try to get her started. And I hope she does because Laura is an incredibly interesting person. She's incredibly talented, smart as fuck. Did like a, did like a fucking post-grad thing at Harvard, worked for NASA for a bit, then went and became like a stand-up comedian for a little bit. Now uh, her father just passed away a couple months ago. And I know she's kind of scrambling to make sense of it all. And um, she's making a podcast, so happy to be on Laura. So that will be today. I don't know when she's going to upload it. But um, 
guys stay safe. Love each other. God bless America. It's the best nation on the planet. Always has been. Always will be. And, um, yeah, we're all in this shit together. And I don't say that in some gay COVID way. I mean, like, legitimately. We're all in this thing together, so let's try to make the most of it. And I'm all out of shit. Ooh, I cannot wait to play Hitman and Mafia. That's going to be fun. Y'all take care now, you her. Okay.